pray with me. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Grant us mercy. Grant us peace. Amen. Well, you know from a previous sermon that um, I do love a good story with a hero, but I actually prefer stories about saints because saints have more power. I can see that there are plenty of good redemptive hero stories, but rarely do they ever name or give glory to God because that's actually what distinguishes a saint from a hero. Saints are far above heroes because saints understand the higher calling of being set apart for God. They live in the truth of the power of holiness as greater than any hero's superpowers. Saints orient their lives around God and come to know God's power and God's greater purposes for all people across all time. Saints' lives shine into eternity. Amazingly, each one of us in this room, if we are living our baptismal vows, have set ourselves apart as saints. In Ephesians, Paul addresses the believers as saints, and he thanks God for the love that saints show to other saints. And then he prays for them, and actually, he prays for us now two millennia later, that we would have a fresh gift of wisdom so that we might draw on Holy Spirit power to live into our glorious inheritance in Christ. Our inheritance, of course, is salvation, but Paul prays with a broader understanding. He knows that for our inheritance is actually toward a holy, redeemed, renewed creation. And he wants us to see in this section from Ephesians that God's plan for bringing heaven to earth involves us. On All Saints Sunday, we remember those who have gone before us, who are now in the great cloud of witnesses, and we thank God for them. But today, I'd like to focus on living saints, those whose stories are being lived right now in 2022. Living saints may be geographically across the globe, and they may be sitting in the pew right next to you. So I want to ask two quick questions as we get started. First, do we see our lives as primarily shaped around the drama of today, or do we understand our lives as situated within the divine, grand narrative being played out in our time? Now I pose my second question in light of our passage from Ephesians, especially the last two verses, which paraphrased by N.T. Wright are, yes, God has put all things under Christ's feet and has given him to the church as head over all. The church is his body. It is the fullness of the one who fills all in all. So my second question is, how is the earth going to be filled with the fullness of God? And I pray that we will see that the answer to the first question about our lives in our time across all time 
is experienced and entirely enveloped within the second question of how Christ fills the church with himself. Because by God's presence, we are resurrection people. The Apostle Paul constantly brings up the resurrection of Jesus and what it means for us in our everyday lives. You can see that in verses 19 and 20. Why is that such a big deal? Why does it matter so much that Paul brings it up over and over again? Merely because it is the hinge on which our entire faith not only swings but opens the door to God's plan to fill the earth he created with all of his pure, holy, perfect, renewing, redeeming, loving, salvific presence. Without the resurrection, we are to be most pitied. It is the power of God for salvation of his entire created world. And that plan of salvation involves us, saints. We do want to live lives of purpose and meaning. We do want to leave a mark on the world, or at least our own world, our people. And as saints, we have Holy Spirit power in us to do just that work. I'm going to tell you four stories of living saints, and I want you and myself to consider our own lives in terms of how the resurrection power of Jesus Christ makes a categorical difference in their lives, encouraging and strengthening us in our own. These four saints answer the first question with, we choose to see our lives as a story within the divine cosmic narrative. And, because they live from that perspective, they then answer the second question, recognizing that the power of Christ to fill the earth is taking place through them. So, here they are. Immaculee Ilibagiza, Pete Grieg, Andrew Brunson, and Jacob Thompson. I suspect these names are familiar to some of you. They are all living. Of course, none of them would actually claim the status of saints. But each of them has chosen the reformation of their own character toward God's redemptive purposes in response to their life circumstances. Each of them draws on resurrection power to fill the earth with the presence of God. I learned of Immaculate Ilibagiza through her book, Left to Tell, and it's a powerful story of a young woman who already had a vibrant, trusting relationship with God, digging deeper into that to forgive those who perpetrated evil and death against her and her country of Rwanda. Immaculate was raised in a devoutly Catholic family, and as a family, they were accustomed to praying together every evening. But in 1994, like most college kids, she returned home to her family over Easter. Tribal hatred between Hutu and Tutsi had been increasing, and while she was home on break, the Hutu president of the country was killed, which sparked a three-month slaughter of Tutsis. The slaughter and terror spread like wildfire across the nation and into Immaculate's home village. In a tearful goodbye from her parents and brothers, she fled for her life to the home of a pastor in a village five miles away. 
As she prepared to run, her father pressed his rosary into her hand. Along with seven other starving women, Immaculate survived by hiding in the pastor's tiny bedroom for 91 cramped, terrifying days. But these bare facts do not begin to tell you what God did in her heart in those three months and in the years since. As Immaculate and the other women hid in that three-by-four-foot bathroom, with not even enough space to stretch out, she prayed. She prayed when she heard the killers of her family and friends, people she had known and grown up with, outside the tiny bathroom window, bragging about killing her family and many others with an evil lust to kill more. She prayed when, the, when despair hit her and the deceiver crowded her mind with lies that she was no one, that she too would die, and that God did not hear her cries. In that tiny bathroom, when terror, anxiety, and anger threatened to overcome her, she prayed. Whenever I prayed, I immediately felt God's love around me and anxiety eased. So I resolved to pray every waking moment. Prayer became my armor, and I wrapped it tightly around my heart. She heard the killers come in to search the home where she was hiding, and she prayed her rosary over and over again, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. She found herself asking God to give his love and forgiveness to all the sinners in the world, but she was unable to make herself pray for forgiveness of those killers. So in that small space, with rampant evil all around her, she asked God to change her heart. And God did. Before she was even freed, she forgave those who killed her parents, her brothers, and decimated her country. In 2012, I attended a conference on reconciliation at Lipscomb University, and Immaculate was a plenary speaker. As she came down the side aisle of the largest auditorium on campus, which was full, quite close to where I was seated, I literally felt the overwhelming love of God emanating from her. I felt like I was in the presence of a living saint. It was remarkable and beautiful. Immaculate has gone on to be an agent of forgiveness in the ongoing story of her beloved country, Rwanda. The second living saint I mention is Pete Grieg. Think of yourself. Think of everyday faithfulness in prayer when you think of Pete Grieg. He is the founder of 24-7 Prayer, the Lectio 365 app, and the author of God on Mute, among other things. God on Mute is one of the best books on unanswered prayer I have ever read by a man whose entire life is dedicated to prayer. I know some of you have read it. Check him and 24-7 prayer out and be inspired by the power of prayer to change little lives and the world. The third story I relate to you is of Andrew Brunson. Do you recognize that name? Andrew and his wife Noreen pastored a small Christian church in Turkey for 25 years. 
In 2016, Andrew was arrested by the Turkish government and charged with espionage and treason. He was held in prison for two years. In 2018, with no evidence presented, he was found guilty and sentenced to 35 years in prison. Yet miraculously, within a matter of hours following the sentencing, he was released and 24 hours later was here in this country with our U.S. President. In an interview with Open Doors, a network of support for the persecuted church, Andrew was asked, did you sense people's prayer in prison? Andrew, my two years in prison were marked by what I would call the silence of God and not having any sense of his presence. Because my past experience with him was really rich, to have that intimacy removed led to offense around my heart toward God, woundedness. So I was very alone, isolated in my faith. I prayed for peace so much, I did not feel peace. Grace was taking me through, but finding strength, determination, peace, and joy was actually much more difficult than I expected. So I didn't feel people praying for me. I had grace, but it was an unfelt grace. My first year in prison, I broke repeatedly. Did you hear that? Andrew's experience was completely different from Immaculee's. The only other believer Andrew was allowed to see was his wife, Noreen. She repeatedly told him of thousands of people who were praying for him, and he believed her, and he believed that he was not forgotten, but he did not feel it. Andrew said, I've been told by a church historian that what happened with me was an unprecedented prayer movement focused on one person. So clearly this was supernatural. It was God-initiated, God-driven, God-sustained, and I came to see that God was doing something much bigger with that movement of prayer than just sustaining me and then delivering me from prison. There was something much bigger going on. I came to see during my imprisonment that actually God was using this to draw in prayer for Turkey in an unusual way. In 2009, God had said to me, prepare for harvest. I came to see that being in prison was part of that assignment, that just by being there, I was the lightning rod that was drawing in prayer God intended to use in that region. People have told me, I'd wake up in the middle of the night and pray for you. Even children were praying for me. Wow. Andrew's wife added, so many children. I think God was doing many, many things, but one of the things was bringing praying for the persecuted church into children's hearts and minds. I heard about the prayer more than Andrew did, and I understood earlier on that something was happening for Turkey. Fourth living saint, Jacob 1020 Thompson. A few months ago, our grandson, Gabe, lent me a book called Diagnosis to Destiny, written by a young man who grew up here in the Twin Cities. Like many young people, he pursued a myriad of interests, from excelling in sports to spoken word and hip-hop artistry. Yet while he was a student at Bethel University, he began to experience some peculiar symptoms. 
He did not seem to have the strength, coordination, and endurance he was accustomed to. Just before his wedding, after graduation, he was diagnosed with a rare, slowly debilitating disease, Friedreich's ataxia. Like Immaculee, Pete Grieg, and Andrew Brunson, JT had a choice. Give in to a life of anger, bitterness, and why me questioning of God, or like another maybe spoken word prophet, Job, proclaim, for I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eye shall behold, and not another. J.T.'s book is filled with the poetic praise of his spoken word, prayers in which his losses and his triumph of faith are evident. These four living saints are filling the earth with the fullness of God in Rwanda, the UK, Turkey, and Minnesota. Be it gladness or anxiety, success or sorrow, abundance or joy, a clear path forward or confusion, sickness or health, freedom or imprisonment, saints step toward what is given. Through it all is the invitation to return to joy. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Did you know that we are the joy set before him? That's right. On the other side of the cross is resurrection power for Jesus and for us and for all creation. God is filling the earth with his presence through his saints. Saints draw on God's power for life and godliness. And we're not only given the Holy Spirit living within us, but we're given one another. What do you consider to be the central symbol of the Apostle Paul's worldview? From what I've just said, I guess we would probably be inclined to say that that central symbol is the cross, right? But N.T. Wright answers the question, the church. The church is the symbol God has ordained to represent his presence in the world. The church is how the resurrection power of the cross of Christ is lived. Our Ephesians passage emphasizes that it is the church's unity and holiness that the world needs to see in order to experience Christ. In other words, what God uses to further his rule, to fill the earth with his presence, is us in unity and holiness. We are the visible Christ. Jesus actually did mean for us to live the Beatitudes. Eugene Peterson paraphrases the last two verses of Ephesians as, God put the resurrected Christ at the center of everything, and at the center of the center, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts and by which he fills everything with his presence. A government, a society, cannot legislate love. That is the redemptive work of Christ at work in the world through his saints. Several weeks ago, Russell Moore discussed the biannual theological survey of American evangelicals. 
and the results should give us all pause. While an overwhelming percentage of evangelicals believe in traditional sexual morality, they fail to live according to their own moral standards. A majority also misunderstand the nature of Jesus Christ himself, believing that he is the first and greatest being created by God. In fact, 43% of evangelicals say that Jesus was a great teacher, but not God at all. Sadly, not only is this heresy, but it explains why believers lack power. We cannot live resurrection power if we don't believe in the resurrection. On All Saints Sunday, may I declare theology matters. The power of Jesus in his resurrection, as our Ephesians passage says, is also ours power to live a victorious, full life in our brief moment in history, just as the four living saints I mentioned live. As another spoken word prophet declares, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, and a New Testament prophet confirms through his saints. So let us not lose heart. Last Sunday as a church, we had such joy in gathering at the Calvin family's farm. It was a beautiful time together, and it reminded us of how much we love one another and actually, I think, increased our love for each other. And we needed time like that. Together, we glorified God through worship, testimony, faithful presence, and an overabundance of joy. We filled Shepherd's Hill Farm with the presence of God. Hallelujah! May God grant us the immeasurable greatness of his power at work in and through us to fill the earth with his presence. As our psalm urges us, even if our participation in God's work of redemptive justice is to be an audience to the righteous judgments of God, it is honor for us. In some way beyond our present understanding, God is using his people in setting right the wrongs of this present age, filling the earth with his presence. This is honor for all his saints. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.